Exotica. Okay, and this is the first episode of Baz Chat. We have a chat with Baz, uh, and we find out his view on data breadcrumbs, where it segues with relationships, about a natty new activation between Budweiser and US women's soccer. We also look at Baz's take on the now defunct Premier League pay-per-view plans, passion products, and why he calls fans Customer Plus. Mark Bradley and the work of the Fan Experience Company also get a very honourable mention. Hello, Mark and friends. If you want to follow up on anything we've talked about, check the episode links in the episode description. You can join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join. Enjoy the episode. Exactly. No, so look, I mean, I was saying, you know, one, one of the things we were chatting off um, off mic before we started was about our, our approaches to fun engagement or the way yeah. the perspectives we have, the interests we have. And I was saying to you that whilst I recognise the absolute critical nature of tactical delivery, of activations, of all those sorts of things, um, uh, I've come from a world of... Um, if you like relationships and quite, I suppose quite qualitative um, fan engagement, if you want to call it, and st- very strategic sort of looking at the big picture, um, looking at the relationships and the conversations and the dialogue and all that kind of stuff. And from my perspective, um, and I want you to explain a bit more about your perspective so we get it right. You're someone who sort of you're a bit further down the track, and what you do is look at um, all of that stuff around the relationships and all that stuff, but you're looking at the segue between that and delivery all the time and saying, so how does that actually work in practical terms? And some of it is about fan experience as well, you know, with a nod to our friends over at the fan experience company and Mark Bradley and co. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it can be just straightforward, you know, sort of fan engagement work. Um, And and you, you make sure that delivery works to a strategy. And that that seems to me to be a really um, important role and something that I don't know enough about. And that's why I thought we should start this series. So tell me a little bit about your, first of all, about your approach to, to fan engagement, whether I've got that right, because I might not have done, but that's how I think you think. <laughs> so tell I, me. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let me start off that where you're um, to correct if you say that you said you're I'm further down the track I don't think so that I think we're very parallel on on two different tracks I think where your approach is very much PR and relationship based uh, my approach is more a combination between PR and relationship based plus data uh, because I think that um, all the breadcrumbs that we leave behind us as soon someone as soon as a fan moves forward are um, that basically it contains essential information. What does um, what does someone do? How does he interact with the club? Is it so, is it a fan who uh, reads everything about the about the club? Uh, watches every video that the fan puts out on, or that the club puts out on the social channels? Um, how does how does he interact with the club? And I think the com- combination of um, understanding what fans do from a relationship perspective versus what they've done from a data perspective, I think that's the good combination uh, on 
understanding fans better. Uh, so I think we're actually very complementary to each other in that regard. It's very nice of you to say so. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> um, so, Baz, I'm bound to ask you, what's been... What's been turning your head then? What is there anything particular? Because you know, really, what I I I feel this is um, really useful for is to look at you know maybe look at trends, but look at things that you've um, ideas you pick up. You're someone who look who looks a lot at what's being done by clubs, yeah. by rights holders, um, um, you know, leagues as well, and all that sort of stuff. And you you look at some of the 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 things that in the end, I think, express how a club thinks about its, about its fans. Yeah. Um, you know, because often, the, you know, the ideas, the things they do, the delivery stuff does tell you a lot about what they think. So is there, is there anything that's kind of come across your desk this, you know, the last week or two, three weeks since we agreed we'd do this that you'd like to kind of look at? Because that's what I think we've got to really focus on is ideas here. What's been, um, what's been in your world, Baz? I think there's this this elephant in the room, the obvious example that we probably have to discuss when uh, when you're talking about the rights holder and their perception on fans is the Premier League. And of course, their um, their initiative to launch the um, to launch this pay-per-view um, uh, package, basically. Just to summarize for listeners who haven't seen any of it, it's and correct me if I'm wrong because you're you're closer to the fire than I am. But it's a it's a package where uh, all the um, uh, TV rights not being swooped up by the regular uh, broadcasters, uh, Premier League decided to package it and to sell it themselves for fourteen ninety five a month, or was it? Yeah, they've allowed they've allowed the broadcasters to. Um, to sell those then they're not broadcasting them themselves but they yeah they've effectively created another package of rights that are then used for a lot by... of money yeah absolutely yeah 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 and that's what the whole conversation was about of course is this the right amount of money to ask for these um for this package and i've done some research um around it uh, according to the daily mail they say they were hoping to sell 75 uh thousand buys of matches with top six clubs and 25,000 for lower tier ones and that didn't happen um it was of course lots of, lots of discussion that was far too expensive which i think that um is partially true because you're basically extra charging season ticket holders that cannot come to the stadium uh, to then also um yeah see their club still to be able to see their club um which is funny because i've seen in other countries where season ticket holders actually get sent um, discount codes so whoever is the pay tv provider that broadcasts the matches they can actually see it for free well of course uh, Buzz, just very quickly to add to that in the efl that's what um is is i'm not sure if it's man i think I'm pretty sure it's mandatory if you've got a season ticket your home matches broadcast through i follow yeah. Um, you get those for free or you pay the, the fee obviously but if you've got a season ticket yeah you're watching the games which makes a lot of sense right you already you pay for you paid for the right to see your team and now uh, the discussion because of COVID is whether that's at the stadium or whether that's at home but you've already paid for something so making fans pay extra for that is not I think the right move um, 
I get it from their perspective as well. So let me defend the Premier League a bit as well, because um, what they try to do is to at least make um, in very tough times for them as well to make some extra money out of this situation. Now, have they thought this through well enough? I don't think so. First of all, because I think the discussion was about the price, not about the product. Uh, so that was a good, um, that's a good focus to put on. And let me dive into that a bit because pricing is a very tough element. It's a very subtle art. There are econometrics companies uh, calculating the price elasticity of newspapers, for example, the market that I'm now currently working in, uh, of digital content products, uh, as I would like to call them. And there's, there's definitely a variation in, in some fan groups uh, have a lot of money to uh, spend and they will still buy the product if the, if, uh, the price increases by 50%, for example. And then there's some parts of, of customers for, again, for newspapers um, that, uh, yeah, that already drop out if the price increases by 5%. So you should actually, instead of having one price for this package, you should try to see if you could already make a variation in pricing for different uh, different fan groups, and I think that's that's something that happens a lot uh, in in uh, again in the in the newspaper industry in publishing it happens a lot. But um, this it they could have prevented a lot of discussion around it if they would have been able to to play around with that a bit. But now it feels like they just put a number on it. Okay, we'll make it fourteen ninety five. Everyone will have to pay the same price, which in airlines you don't do. Um, but I might be a couple of steps ahead of them uh, already in this one. But at least they've, they've tried to do something with, uh, with their gap in finance as well by packaging these matches. I think that's, that's a positive thing. But, I mean, obviously our, our concern here is fan engagement and how that, how that yeah. in this case specifically, what that says about fan engagement in English football. Um, and the interesting thing for me is that you say they're, they're trying to make up the gap in finance, you know, in the loss of income. And let's yeah. be fair, um, Premier League clubs have lost gate money and gate money all of a sudden. There were people who were saying not that long ago that we could end up not needing fans in stadiums because we get so much broadcasting revenue. They realise it's a vital stream and it also yeah. makes broadcasting rights more important. Luckily. And, so I've gained um, some ground on that discussion. That's good. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's good. So, so um, I get the financial economic argument, um, but there might be some people who suggest that um, one of the problems with English football and speaking about English football specifically, which is what obviously this bit is about, um, is it often too often addresses an issue which is actually related to something else. And in this case, fans um, or it's at least fans and broadcasting and or it's fans and finances. And they address it immediately as a financial issue. Yeah. And then if you then say to them, why didn't you think about this? My response is often, well, I don't think they're programmed to think about it. Um, and that's one of the problems that they, it, it's, it's almost, um, it's almost that it's the English game is sort of in these senses, a bit psychologically ill-suited to having to make a decision like this yeah. taking into account the fan as the major player because that's not how the game operates so it's sort of you can't you sort of can't force that 
because it doesn't really exist in their makeup. <laughs> and that's uh, why yeah. am I being am I being a bit unfair? You're you know you're yeah. watching this from uh, from 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 over there over the over the North Sea in the Netherlands. Yeah. Am I am I being unfair or 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 is there some truth in that perhaps? Uh, they work with different paradigms for sure. The Premier League is a global product. So they're trying to sell it as a global product, but I'm not sure if this packaging, right, if that's been, um, this, this package that they created, if that's marketed globally or nationally, uh, I don't know if you... I think it's just that, I think it, this is just an issue of the local um, cost, even if, um, and a lot uh, of this stuff will be sold globally anyway, already. Yeah. This is about packaging up domestic rights yeah. and selling domestic yeah. rights. So I, mean, I think we probably forget the global issue and say, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but 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 maybe some of the global the issue is they're try this is this is a competition, a, a rights holder in the Premier League trying to make, you know, we we they're talked about a lot as a global brand, mm -hmm. but they are in the end, even if they don't like that or they want to expand that, they are in the end a domestic football competition. Yeah. Even if they're watched by, you know, if there was a, a colony on Mars watching the Premier League, it yeah. would still be a domestic football competition. That's true, because that's where your main market is. Yeah. And that isn't that yeah. where fanning the fan engagement on the domestic level, and we yeah. should, and we will talk about fan engagement as a global phenomenon and how that affects yeah. competitions like the Premier League. But isn't this is an issue of domestic, kind of domestic football politics? And that's why, let's look at the reaction from fans. That's why vast numbers of, you know, fans amongst the sort of leaders in this area, Newcastle, Liverpool, Spurs have been absolutely phenomenal with, the, with what they've been doing, have been instead of spending, encouraging fans, you know, or dis, they've been discouraging fans from spending that money or saying to fans, if you don't want to spend that money, put it into a food bank, help people who need it. Yeah, so, so it's clearly a problem, isn't it? Because the re response of fans in, uh, has been pretty overwhelming. Uh, and it tends to suggest that maybe they've got this a bit wrong. Well, put this against, uh, exactly, because put this against uh, what happened last summer, where fans en masse uh, renewed their season tickets, even though they had no perspective on, am I ever going to watch any game this season? Uh, so there's definitely the love from the fans towards the clubs was definitely there. I think a very clear signal and extremely irrational, if you would ask me, from, I, don't, I know this is always something we, we hate to talk about, but from a consumer perspective, it's very irrational to buy a product that you will likely will never be able to use and still you pay 250, 300 pounds up to a thousand for Arsenal, I think even. Um, insane if you if you would think about the psychological process that happened there amazing it it gives me the gives me the, the shivers on my arm every time that I, I that i talk about this example it's so good to see that the the love coming from the fans to the clubs and then they get this in return only a few months later not a good sign at all so well that that, that, that but i think one thing someone like you has taught me is you, what you've got to understand about fans is that, and, I, and I've started to use this phrase now, is they are sometime customer, sometimes customers. Yeah. They're, 
except they are the whole basis on which a fan is a customer is essentially irrational because why would you be buying a shirt for a club that finished bottom last year? Yeah. Why, why would you, as a group of fans, um, you know, why would you, why would you um, uh, renew your season ticket when there's a, when there's, as you're saying, there's a possibility you will not see your club play. Yeah. Why would you be doing what some clubs say, for example, Norwich, who were in the top flight last year, why would you be saying, yeah, I, I won't, I won't ask my money back. I'll let you have that money and you can invest that into the youth academy, which is one of the options that Norwich created, including refunds as well, I might add. This mm -hmm. is all. So we got this huge cauldron of, um, of, of, of fans, if you like, and this, um, this relationship, which, which is your, you are absolutely right. There is a customer element to it. Forget we, yeah. you know, people might not like that, but there is a customer element to that. But the customer element is essentially irrational. And the problem is, is I think to some extent that we're, is that sport in, in, in I think many areas of sport, I think, but we talk about football, it's prone to only be able to think about it either in the customer term, because that mm. makes sense, or in the relational term, because that makes sense. But it's that, the, the successful organisations that deal with the successful clubs that deal with this understand there's an irrational customer yeah. um, at, in one small sense. And then there is a, a kind of very rational, but a very emotional stakeholder. It's, in other words, you, you understand why that person has an attachment to your club. Yeah. Um, in that sense, it's rational because it makes sense, but there's that irrational customer all the time and that, that that irrationality, and that's where all the listening makes sense, and that doesn't it? Alongside yeah. using the information you have on data that that points us in the right direction about trends and about how fans are thinking. Yeah, well, let me let me break it down a bit. If in my perception, uh, a regular customer, whatever product, let's let's move a bit away from from football and sport for now. A regular customer uh, consists of two elements transactional stuff and relational uh, relational stuff those are the two elements that is uh, that are part of, of a customer so it doesn't necessarily mean that the customer is always someone that buys a product or buys a service a customer is also the one that just emphasizes with a product or is positive about ikea whatever uh, even though you don't have any uh, products at home but with football and with Apple and with all these passion uh, passion products, I would like to call them then. You could tell, uh, you could call it a customer plus, basically, because there, there, it's not just the customer element which has transaction and relationship in it, but it's also the identification element, and that is the the part that makes fan engagement a very uh, a domain that has a lot of traits of regular customers, but there's also this identification element on top of that. I mean, um, if you look at my example, I've, I've, uh, I've a shirt hanging over there on the wall, which is from the World Cup in 2014 with hockey, where I helped the Australian, team, uh, Australian national team uh, as a team liaison. I now follow them with everything because I was so close connected I never buy something from them. I never um, uh, go to games, for example. Okay, if they're in the Netherlands, I might might come to visit. But I, I keep following them. So 
in that regard, I'm, I'm a fan of them. I'm still a customer, only the transactional part is not there uh, for now. But I will if they're here again, if they're within reach. So um, moving back into football, there's, I think there's, there's, uh, there's definitely the discussion that needs to be started whether fans are fans customers and fans would immediately back off and say, no, we're not. Well, yes, you are because you're spending your money at a club. You're spending your free time at a club. You're spending your passion at a club and you're defending your club um, to your friends who support something else, who have a different sports ideology. So, yeah, you're definitely a customer. It's just that we're a bit, um, we don't feel comfortable using the term. But if we would, you would open up a complete new domain of business where if we really talk about uh, fans being customers, Premier League would have been able to, able to dive into pricing strategies, very deep into econometrics, okay. pricing strategies. But it's yeah. something we regularly in sports business don't do because we have the, uh, the, 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 the idea that fans are completely different than customers. No, a lot of pro practices that are done in regular retail industries are amazing to apply to fans. And if we acknowledge that connection, there's so much spillover that could happen. Um, yes, look, I mean, I think engagement. Yeah. this is where I think, this is where I, you know, conversation leads often leads us down an interesting road and and brings a point of agreement between two people who, who might not have sort of quite realized exactly how much they agree on something and in this case um you know i would say it is if you like the sweet spot between um the two elements of being a stakeholder and being a customer mm -hmm. that what is what we're talking about essentially because even you know i think I don't think anyone could argue that a fan is purely a customer, but I suppose what, what we could say is, is that they are absolutely a customer. It's just that all their decisions are irrational and based on and mostly based on emotion no. because actually they feel differently about the thing they're purchasing. And that is essentially flipping around what I'm saying, which is that they are a stakeholder and they are a bit of a customer. You're not all we're doing. This is semantics. Uh, and actually, that point about customers and fans recoiling at the idea of being called a customer, to be honest, when I hear people saying, you know, the problem with football is that we're all customers, we're treated as customers buying products. And my response to that is, look, if you were treated as customers buying products, you would be treated a lot better than you are. Yeah, exactly. That's, and, that's and, what I meant with the school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I and I would I would rather at least have that. And in fact, some of the improvement, interestingly, that I have witnessed. Um, personally over the last 10 to 15 years in the game is that actually the the notion that I might be welcomed into a ground when I come in by the steward mm. instead of stared at like I might cause some trouble <laughs> really nice it's a really nice development and actually yeah. it shows that there's a little bit there's a little bit of that is beginning to happen and people are beginning to see okay you know it was a, the effect of of, 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 of the crowd you know people like mark and and yourself to some extent but certainly domestically people like mark and the fan experience company pushing the need to actually treat people well when they come in and welcome yeah. them and make them want to come back and make sure things are hot and edible and 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 that there are things for kids to do and stuff like that 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 stuff all does really matter because it's a, an expression of how clubs feel about their fans and about how let's just say in general if we apply it to the thing yeah. about 
sports rights in this that's the trigger for this conversation also about you know things like that tell us how people feel about us but it's just go on yeah, and this explains the success of Mark Bradley with his company as well. I mean, Mark is not just a very sweet, loving, caring father that wants that uh, has the best for his children and therefore wants it for other children as well in, in the stadiums. No, he he comes from a specific customer experience background where he's he has has seen this these spillover opportunities already. I think two decades ago now, and still has. Um, uh, and that's that's why it's it's because there was nothing in sports, and there was quite some uh, some some innovative stuff happening even 20, 20 years ago in in regular customer experience already. If only sports fans would have been seen as customers more often, that spillover would have happened a long time ago. Now, luckily, Mark is able to transfer all this expertise from there into into fan engagement, into the fan experience, and that's why. He's doing such an amazing job with so many EFL clubs uh, and also around Europe with his UEFA Grow uh, programs, just because he understands what regular customers want, how to talk to them, how to engage regular customers, and then applying that to fandom. That match day, you know, that, yeah. And that match day is the thing that a lot of people are going to be experiencing. Um, they you know, you, you if you get them in, then all of the other, I would say, all of the other tools of managing the, the relationship with a stakeholder become very important. Yeah. Um, but it, I mean, it's actually the thing is, is I suppose the problem in, you know, and I, don't, I don't know if you have an equivalent phrase in, in Dutch, but, you know, we, we talk about chicken and egg, you know, which comes first, which came mm-hmm. first, the chicken or the egg. Yeah. And to some extent, it's, yeah, okay, if you treat people well when they come into the stadium, uh, and they interact with you through the community program or whatever it is, they're going to think better of you and their, their relationship will change and become closer. And then recognising them as a stakeholder more than simply a, a customer um, purchasing a product yeah. and having that kind of interaction with you becomes more important. But, of course, if you if you don't design your customer programs properly, that element of, of your relationship, the support for services element, if you want to call it that, as opposed to just straight customer services, mm-hmm. you don't design that well, then when they come to you, you're not going to be able to respond to their needs when they're being the customer. But if you don't think about them as a potential stakeholder or as a stakeholder, if they're local, then you don't start to design your programs of customer management and customer yeah. and supporting relationships well. So it, there is a real interplay here between the fan as a, as a part-time, as I would say, a part-time customer, or you might say a super customer. Yeah, and, I think and it's, yeah. And, yeah, and their love and, and, and the idea yeah. that that they're basically this is love, it's religion, it's a it's a it's a it's an act of faith for for, for people. And actually you can apply it to other sports as well. Sport mm-hmm. is irrational in many respects because it's about something else other than it is most of the time about something else other than just winning. I've, I've, I've described this before that fandom is a very sociological act it's it's where uh where a hundred years ago and and maybe even further down the road um churches were very very active everyone was part of a church and everyone therefore was part of a group and had the same ideology and therefore had the same perspective on on some things now at least in the netherlands that happened a lot uh that basically um uh we they were called castes i don't know if that's the same 
in, 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 in English. But anyways, everyone was part of like the subgroups uh, within the church. They disappeared, but the need of, of bonding and, and this social bonding together and being part of a group and having the same perspectives and the same um, cultural mindset is, it was still there. And that's, that's where football uh in this in this uh yeah that, that's where football basically replaced some elements that people used to find in church and that definitely ties into what you're saying there's that fandom is more than just watching games uh games of football it's it's part of that identity uh, back in the days you were part of this upstream in church now i'm part of the of of uh, of Ajax as a fan. I'm not an active fan, but I'm part of Ajax as a fan. And I can talk with fellow Ajax supporters about uh, uh, Champions League victory 1995 and how we did great uh, two seasons ago, uh, last, last final minutes against Stoltenham Hotspur. We both understand the same situation without me describing what happened there. We both immediately feel the same emotion, like, oh, shit, Mora that uh, scored the goal. Terrible. You share the same emotions. And that is, I think, the, the key of it. Yet I'm still a customer, but it's this plus element here, which I'm now describing, that makes it such so much more of a social bonding element. That's right. No, I, no as I said, I think, I think we come from slightly different perspectives, but meet in the middle on this. Mm -hmm. um, now, tell me, there's a couple of things, because um, I don't want to take too much more of your time up because you know also we want to give people a chance to be able to listen to this in a, in a <laughs> we're in already in half an hour <laughs> half an hour lunch we haven't discussed the agenda yet. yet yeah we've got we've we've covered a lot of ground already <laughs> um i wanted to try and sort of pick your brains um a little bit and ask you whether there's anything particular you know you you worked for some years at um az altmar in the um in in the in the netherlands top flight and you're someone who's spent a lot of time talking to uh, conferences and gatherings of people about fan engagement and some of the real tactical. You also went out and worked in Australia for a while. Yeah, um, I know. Um, so is there is there anything you know? Be kind of nice to um, just kind of finish on one or two ideas um, of things. Look, we're not at the moment. There might be match day things um, or related to match day. They might be things that clubs could perhaps think about um, and sports rights holders could think about during this horrible period where most of us are not going to get to watch our clubs. Are there, are there one or two sort of ideas or techniques or tactics or things that you've done that you might suggest are worth looking at for people listening or watching indeed? For sports marketing practitioners who are listening uh, and then what I've seen over the last couple of weeks yeah. there are actually some interesting things for example uh i will i will tweet this out as well so you it, it can be found on my twitter uh stream as long as you depending on when you're listening to this podcast could you, could you just tell us what your tell us what your twitter handle is so people can find it at bas snater and then snater is with s-c-h-n-a-t-e-r lovely carry on uh, I've tweeted this out before, but what Club Bruges, for example, has done is that they've opened up the dressing rooms for fans to have a look what happens around the games. For example, now they had with the match against, I think it was against Lazio for Champions League, that they've actually shot footage inside the dressing room, how the coach talked to the team afterwards, saying like, okay, yeah, we've done great, and we were physically better than them, but um 
Uh, we didn't win. We only, uh, we only got one point out of this game. Fantastic footage. Incredible. And it's very good. Um, uh, I, th I think these are the elements that fans expect way more nowadays since they cannot come to the stadium and they cannot review with people together over a pint, which you would do uh, after a game. Instead, you sort of review now with the team. So there's so many opportunities just on match days that you could do to replace the need, the void that uh, Corona leaves uh, there. Um, and this is one example. Let's, let me give you another one because we wanted to talk a bit sponsorships and we're not, uh, actually we haven't even discussed that much. Uh, so probably we'll, we'll just move that on the agenda for next time. But uh, what happened here in the Netherlands also very nice is that um, I like sponsorships that or, or activations that um, tie into a, a, uh, a societal issue. For example, I've, I have two examples actually. First one is that due, due to Corona, there's of course all the healthcare discussions are about Corona and they're all about um, how people are uh, infected and, and dying from that. But there are still so many other diseases that we're fighting in the meantime as well. Um, one of them, obviously, is cancer. And for children who have cancer, um, there's always this organization, Kika, it's called, uh, and they, they put the spotlights on children to not make them feel sick for a while. They organize great activities, etc. They get uh, little children to uh, tickets for football games. Could you just sorry, could you just repeat the name of that for us, please? Kika. Okay, carry on. Like Kaka, the football player, but then Kika. Um, so that, that's what that's what they do, and they noticed as well that hey, this this entire uh, Corona situation is terrible, and we need to fight that as well. But we this takes away the spotlight of the sort of of the of the children that are fighting uh, fighting cancer, and they should have uh, some attention uh, as well. So what they do, what they did is that they teamed up with a pharmaceutical company and SA Heerenveen, which is a football club in the north of the Netherlands. And you may have seen this, uh, where they've actually put uh, 15,000 teddy bears on the seats of fans. Um, they've put 15,000 uh, teddy bears, and you could buy one for 15 euros. And all the proceeds went to Kika. And they, they, this is a very nice sponsorship activation because they've been connected to the club since 2010, 2011 already. And in this way, they were able to, to, um, to collect a lot of, uh, of course, the fundings that they did not get because of the corona situation, etc. But also to, to shout out to the world, hey, listen, there, there are terrible problems in the world at the moment. But there are still these children that also need to have some, some bright light uh, into, their, into their lives uh, sometimes. So now they, this, this proved to be a very successful uh, campaign. All the teddy bears sold out. They're producing more now even. And with all those proceeds, they can help children who, who are fighting cancer again for, uh, to, to at least get, do some nice activities once they can again. That, that's going. So you about to say something else. And I have a second example, Ooh, yeah, very interesting, about a sponsorship activation uh, tying into a societal issue. There's a societal issue. It's also a bit of a sports issue that there's an unequal pay uh, for men and women doing exactly the same thing, but not getting paid the same. 
which needs to be addressed as well. Um, this also this is also a campaign I, I uh, put on my Twitter uh, put out on Twitter already as well. What Budweiser has done in the US very interesting because they are one of the only three sponsors for uh, the 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 league the women's league in the US where the men's league has around 20 25 sponsors and they've created a campaign saying like okay if we have this salary gap we want to close that but for that there needs to be more money because there's a reason why the salary salary ca uh, gap is there so this is not a uh, a inequality gap this is a sponsorship gap that we need to close as a sponsor so they've they've created a campaign with vayner media very interesting where they've just they, they've created posters and videos of ev in every possible way that you could imagine uh, 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 football players being an influencer um, showcasing a new watch or a deodorant or a, a fast food chain. They've created exactly that. Uh, you could see some um, uh, a player look uh, at, a, at a burger that's sitting on the table, but instead of making it um, a brand, they've made it green. And it basically says, insert sponsor here. And then later one with a watch, her sitting like this, showing the watch uh, on the poster, insert sponsor here. And basically what they've done is that they've created awareness of, hey, if you guys are really, um, if you guys are passionate about closing this inequality gap, sponsors, this is your time to step in. You take, take responsibility, take action. And now they've included, uh, they've, thanks to this campaign, they've attracted six new global sponsors of which Procter and Gamble, uh, and there, there are a couple of other global brands as well. And they've increased salary now, or they, they increased the salary cap by 19.3%. So slowly but surely, Budweiser has activated uh, their sponsorship. Everyone knows it's from Budweiser, but they're taking their responsibility, addressing a societal issue, pulling other sponsors into women's football. I think it's those two examples from the, the, the Bears and, and Budweiser are, yeah, are the, the ways how you do it right as a sponsor. Baz, that's why I thought this was a good idea, um, because I, I would never have known that. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I, uh, you know I'm, it's, it's a great, it's, in, it's exactly the kind of thing that I think is useful for people. And it's sort of, you know, it's on the it's on the fringes of where um, where where I operate personally, and it's sort of to some extent the Budweiser activation isn't even necessarily so much about fan uh, fan related stuff. It's this is about as well, and I think it's important. It's about getting um, people who have a, a a financial interest or want to place an investment in football in some way, and often, you know, it's through it's through some form of sponsorship relationship or activation relationship to be thinking about the game in terms of football. And I think you can apply this across sport to be thinking about the sport they're wanting to, to sponsor yeah. um, in a, in a very holistic way, in a very rounded way. And don't, don't think of it in the normal way. Think of it as something, think of it for all of its amazing distinctive differences. You know, if you want to sponsor women's uh, football in the States, think about, the bigger issues think about exactly talked about what are the things that make it special what are the problems it has that you can help to kind of address and it does play into that bigger 
you know, desire now to see corporations behaving more responsibly in all sorts of ways, whether that's to do with pay gaps or whether it's to do with the climate and, uh, uh, you know, the climate crisis we're yeah. in and all those kinds of things. So, Baz, it, it's, it's a pleasure. Um, genuine, I genuinely mean it. It's not that I don't genuinely mean it with everyone else. I just like to express it's a genuine pleasure. No problem. My pleasure. No, it's great. It's really good. And and people can um, uh, will be out here this once a month. Um, now, I just wanted to quickly check where can people find you on Twitter? If you could just give us that again. Twitter at Basnater with S E H N A T E R or at B A S. Yes. Yep. Good. And uh, have you got a website for us? Uh, fanengagement.nl. Okay, excellent. And then obviously Fan Insights from Fan Insights Co. UK on Twitter and faninsights.co.uk on nine. Join the Fan Engagement Network. Obviously, that's really important. And um, Baz, uh, what can I say? Thank you very much for joining us. It's been really Pleasure good. Pleasure was all mine. Okay. Thank you.